game. Many levels in this game. Many levels in this game. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I see things a little differently, and we have Hip Hop Week here, and it's going to be three shows, and I want to start with this one because I'm recording all... One's already been recorded, and I'm recording the next the, 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 these two on the same day, and I, I just want to do something to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Hip Hop. Um... As you guys know, I'm an artist. Some of you guys, some of you guys are new. Um, a lot of you guys have supported me. That's how you guys know. Um, and I also had an announcement I wanted to make, but I wanted to do it on the the, the, the week of um, of my hip hop week that I set up, where this week is gonna be three shows. It's a Monday show, which is today, Wednesday, Friday. So there's no wrestling, there's no comic books. It's all hip hop this week. Um, next week we'll, we'll we'll go back to uh, get back to things um but yeah this is something i've been wanting to do for a while and i said well you know what summer is about to happen then we have a couple weeks before all in and all out which is going to just take over everything so i said you know what let's do it in this sweet spot give them three episodes and uh we'll go from there but yeah today's episode will be based on my top 50 we, we are talking about top 50 acts of all time, which after I finished that list and we put it up, there are so many people I could have given an honor, honorable mention to, like Pharaoh Monch. And I just, it was too many people, Talib Kweli. Like, there's too many people. Just, that's that's how come, that's why these lists are so subjective. They can change on the drop of a hat. And so I still stand by my list. Um, but I definitely just want to just continue this going, going and, these li- at first I was like fifty. How, how can I come up with fifty? And that's they just been coming to me. They just been coming to me. And I'm gonna make the announcement first. My debut album, The Uninvited Guests. You guys have been asking for a follow up to Kill the Messenger. I've been hearing it. I've been seeing it at my shows. But when I, when people ask me about my comic books, I'm like, yeah, kind of have to focus on one or the other right now. Um, plus, with everything I got had going on with the move. Um, I actually we we actually do have issue six of Messina droppings called Levels later this year as well. No confirmed date yet. It will be in October. The uninvited guests will be dropping in October as well. I will I will come up with a date uh, probably at the end of this month. Um, yeah, it definitely be at the end of this month. I'll keep you guys locked in. But uh, we will definitely do the same thing we did with Kill the Messenger when it drops. I'll do an episode. I'll do talk, go through the track list, my process in those particular tracks. Um, you guys seem to have liked that behind the scenes um, part of it. Uh, but yes, it's my debut album is called The Uninvited Guest. Um, I'm actually going to drop, drop the track list as well once I drop the date. So I'm super excited about it. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, there's not much I can say about it right now until I come up with that date. Um, and that's because honestly, the album. After record, after finish recording three songs, one song I just need to put a verse on, another song I just needed I need to actually record 
the song, but I also did like a remix to it. And so I need to record that version of it too. And then another song, I think I need to redo a verse or something like that. But, um, but yeah, uh, I'm excited about it. Just, uh, this is going to call, this is going to, this is going to pop. This is going to pop for sure. So enjoy this week of hip hop. If you're a hip hop fan, this is the week for you on this show. As I said, if you're strictly here for wrestling, come back next Monday. Or I encourage you to stay, you know. But if you're only here for wrestling or comic books, that this is not the week for you. We will be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. So sit tight. Just listen to the show. Hope you guys enjoy. So, yeah, let's get this going. This Today's, as you guys see in the title, today is my top 50 of the greatest albums in hip-hop history. This list was, this list was probably the toughest of the three I did. Um, the songs, which you guys will hear, you guys will hear, uh, on Wednesday that once I got into a rhythm, I, I became easy. This one was, it was difficult because an album for me, I have to say not doesn't, I don't believe there's 50 classic albums in hip hop history. I don't believe that. I think classic is thrown around way too easily. Um, and I definitely feel like even some of the stuff that, is considered classic to some people or not classic to me. And also it's tough for me because example, Scarface. I feel like he's one of the few solo artists that has multiple classic records. I think he actually has four classic albums. Mr. Scarface is back, The Fix, um The uh, Untouchable and The Diary. I believe I believe, I believe all four of those are classic albums. Even if you have a skip or two, it's probably just because that beat's not your thing, but I even even then that's rough for me to say. Those albums, like I think I can listen to, I, I think I have listened to all of them in a row on road trips. With 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 me, I saying, oh, I don't like that particular song. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Outkast has four straight classic albums: Stankonia, uh, AT Aliens, um, Aquamanai, um, and I can't think of the other one. But like, like I I feel like. M- the, the classic albums tend to stay in the um, same branches because people tend to like be who they are and stick with what they're going with, or or they do the De La, which is very rare. Which is they have a classic album, the first album, and then they go back on the second album and they completely change everything, which then changes the game, you know. Um, but for me, I just don't throw that word around lightly. I don't think it's even 50 classic albums in hip-hop history. I think after is, it's not much beyond that. So the greatest is... All this is completely subjective, obviously. I want to know what everyone else has as their list because obviously we as fans, sometimes we have bias the same way Rolling Stone or uh, XXL or The Source have bias. Um, I can say for sure because I'm born in the South, Louisiana, as most of you know, I've lived all over. Lived in the Midwest. Lived in the East Coast. Lived in the South. I've lived. I've lived all over. I don't think I have a bias. I think if anything, I'm too diplomatic at times. And when I was writing this list. I had to come to. I had to. I had to think to myself. Do you want to force certain people on here? And so some people aren't on here. You know. And like example, I I know that some people consider Ready to Die a classic album. I don't know if it is. I think it's a great debut album. I love the Method Man collaboration on there. I don't know if it's classic. Because what Puffy and Biggie were able to do, 
posthumously with Life After Death, which was only like three months after his death. I that's an album that's classic to me. I remember when that dropped and just hearing the songs on that album, like, yo, what is this? This is crazy to me. You know? Um gave away one of my songs right there. One of my date albums right there. But yeah, this is this this was this list was this list was the toughest. The 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 other two they were tough too, but this list was the toughest because I just don't throw around classic very often. I, I just think that that's pretty rough. But let's get into it. Let's start with 50, much you. And as you guys know, and if you don't know, you're new to this podcast, when I list things, it's just, there's no order. It's very rare I do an order. I think I've probably done it once or twice on this podcast because someone said, hey, what is the list you would have something in? But I don't do, I just put something on the list, but there's no order. It's just this is how I feel at this moment. If I had to list them, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. That's that takes to me. That takes all the fun out of the list sometimes. So yeah, number fifty. What the album, the debut album from Redman, and I was super young when this came out, so I I didn't get anything until I got older and got more into and in, in, involved in hip hop. Redman is probably the him and him and him and Blackthought are probably the most lyrical rappers of all time. But they don't necessarily have maybe the accolades to back it up. As far as like the Grammys, the platinum plaques, all the platinum. I know his first couple albums went platinum, Red Man. But what I'm saying is like he's, he was never an artist that was going to go 10 times platinum. But I think him and Black Thought, for me, are the two most lyrical rappers of all time. But this album, this was something just weird. And with Eric Sermon on the production, Eric Sermon of EPMD, it just fits. It just worked. It was just... It lets you know that this is something different. Redman's always been different. And to this day, he's fucking different. Like, when he raps, people are sitting there like, I'm listening, you know? So if you have a streaming service, check out What the Album. Just check it out. It's different, for sure. 49, Mama Said Knock You Out. Uh, L Cool J is a person that, I said this over and over before, L Cool J is a person that inspired me to get into rapping, inspired me to write. And I've said this, I've said this before. I don't think he has a classic album, but I think he has so many classic moments. This was a classic moment. Him dropping Mama Said Knock You Out in the middle of his beef with Kumo D and MC Hammer. On this on this album was an album where he had to the break of dawn. My old gym teacher, my old gym teacher ain't supposed to rap. <laughs> uh, he dissed Ice T on this. Um, uh, this was, but seeing that video, it was gritty. It was him in a boxing ring by himself with a mic. Like he's fighting, it was like kind of like he was fighting himself. Mama said, "Knock you out, and I'm gonna knock you." The aggression on it, it just was. I don't know. That album is just it's something different, you know. I think for LL, this is like his the his best put together album, where it felt like, uh, or it feels like, um, how do I put it? It feels like he. Uh, he just hit all the right buttons, if that makes sense. And for the record, just because I'm saying these are the 50 greatest albums in hip-hop history doesn't mean I think all of them are classics. I will tell you which I think so, the ones that are classics. 48, Strictly Business, EPMD. EPMD has the distinction of being the first group in hip-hop history to go four straight albums number one. They had all their production in-house, which was Eric Sermon and um, Parrish. Um, and EPMD is short for Eric and Parrish making dollars. Um, one of the most not talked about groups in hip hop history and their influence. Without them, there aren't Redman, Keith Murray, 
the hit squad um without them there isn't uh what is his name he was beefing with dmx over a song called um what was the name of the song i can't remember this guy's name his face is i guess face is in my head right now light-skinned dude he was in jail with dmx they were beefing over uh a song that that they both said they created i can't remember the dude's name either way this is one of the most speaking about heavy d uh, when we get to, to to the next episode on Wednesday, you guys are gonna hear me talk about Heavy D. Um, but yeah, EPMD. I don't think anyone ever talks about them, and they've had a ton of influence on this bit in this business. So that's that's unfortunate. Forty seven Liquid Swords, the Jizza, a member of the legendary Wu Tang Clan. This was his his solo magna opus, and Jizza is like uh, Ari the Rugged Man. He's like Lupe Fiasco. He's rapping beyond people's intelligence. He's rapping to where you have to actually listen to the words. You have to listen to it. You can vibe out to it too. That's all good if that's what you listen to music for. There's nothing wrong with that as well. But if you want to get him in this album, you have to listen to the lyrics to understand what he's saying. And sometimes you may not even catch it. You have to listen several times. This is one of those albums. It's a dope album. Um, it's talked about in hip-hop circles for sure. Um, but for sure, Jezza was Jezza's just so lyrical, dude. Like, he just... Unfortunately, the lyrics don't sell a lot of times, man. <laughs> you know, but... Number 46, Black Star. Look here, the debut album for Black Star is something that... It, it may... Even though they dropped that second album, um, it wasn't what it was going to be. It, it was just close to 20 years later. They were completely different artists at that time. Really doing things from outside the box. Um, and outside of this box as far as just like hip-hop where hip-hop is now. No one can ever take Yasmin Bey, a.k.a. Most Def, or Talib Kweli off of any list in hip-hop history. They are hip-hop Hall of Famers without a doubt. And they would go in solo and as a group. But this came out of nowhere. And it was just was important to hip-hop because these two just it's kind of like red man and method man when they clicked these two just the difference is red man and method man never stopped actually rhyming together <laughs> you know but yeah it's worth a listen 45 me against the world tupac i actually listened to this for the first time ever this year i've heard obviously the singles from it but I, as people know i'm not a Pac fan i'm just not um over the pandemic I legit listened to All Eyes on Me for the very first time, the entire album. I don't consider it a classic. I think it's a lot of filler on there, which is unfortunate thing with a lot of double disc. I just didn't like, I think there's some good records on there, like um, All Eyes on Me, um, Picture Me Rolling, um, those physicals, there's a couple songs. I didn't consider it a classic. And, I, and my homie MJ was like, I actually prefer All Eyes, I mean, Me Against the World. I said, all right. And so I said, let me take a listen to it. So one day I was at, uh, still in Colorado at the time, and I had a day where I was at work, just vibing out. I listened to the entire album twice. The production is highly dated. It's definitely a 90s album. So you have to be willing to um, expand past what you're hearing now with the Astro Worlds, with the Metro Boomin. You know, you have to expand your mind past those things. If you can't, you won't like this album. Period. Bottom line. No matter how lyrical it gets, no matter how good it is, you won't like this album. 
It's very the production is very very dated, but I actually think this is one of this is of, of, of the music I've heard from Tupac. This was his best well put together record. Forty four Uptown Saturday Night Camp Low. I remember when this beat dropped. I remember I was like, what is this? And this is when I first started getting my love. And Tyler, he's 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 an engineer. I work with Gladwell. His name is Gladwell, and uh, his real name is Tyler, but he goes by Gladwell. You guys will know that name very soon. Trust me. Um, I remember we were talking, and he said, "Do you have, you 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 have the ear of a producer because you are a producer?" And I remember hearing that. I was like, "What is this craziness?" Right? It was the first beat I could ever think of. It's my I, I, if I'm if I'm being honest, it's the first beat I could ever remember listening to, where I said, "What is this?" And why it was my why can I not stop nodding my fucking head? And then the mute, then the chorus came on. This is it. Why Lucini pouring from the sky? Let's get rich. Why I was like, what? What the hell? One is Lucini. Is that money? Is that fettuccine? Like what the fuck is this? And then like they had two completely different flows, but they were both riding the beat so flawlessly. And introducing and just the way that record is. And then when you watch the video, it's just. They're bank robbers, but so smooth. Then you listen to the album, it's the same thing. It's just they 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 hit something here with the production and and just they hit the spot, you know. But uh, one of my favorite records of all time is Lucini from uh, uh, from this album. So, forty three, Super Duper Fly, Missy Elliott. Uh, she, she, there's a song on here from that's one of my top fifty songs of all time. Her and Timbaland were meant to work together. Missy was meant to be an artist. Her personality was beyond music. And I don't know what she does now, honestly. Um, I believe she was into fashion a lot for a while, but I don't actually... Whatever she does, like... Because her, her personality was always bigger than hip-hop, so she could do whatever the fuck she wanted to. But I've always considered, like, her the female Buster and Buster the female... I mean, the male Missy. You know? Their personalities... Was, they, they, they allowed you to have personality. I know Ludacris has said that LL Cool J was the, his biggest influence, and that's cool. But, like, without Buster, there's no Ludacris. You know you, you get what I'm saying? Without the, these people show that you can have personality on a track, that was too big for music. Not just hip-hop, but the music in general. And this album is a, a, a microcosm of that. 42, Paul's Boutique. This is from the Beastie Boys. I chose this over License to Ill because License to Ill is a dope album. But for me, I remember my introduction was through Paul's Boutique. And I think, I don't, I, they were clearly the first successful white rappers in hip-hop history. And I don't think anyone ever thought they disrespected the culture or anything, or, or culture vultures. They were just three goofy white guys that just knew how to rap, and they were badasses at it. And I don't know, like I said, I think License to Ill might be a better overall production, but my introduction was Paul's Boutique, and I feel like that just that goes to that bias. Um, this is just why I feel for me. If I chose something, if we're in the car driving and it's a long ass drive, I know me, I'm probably going to choose. There we go. 41, Queen Latifah, all hail the queen. To me, the I have her tied as the greatest MC, female MC of all time with someone else who's on this list as well. Um, to me, I love listening to Queen Latifah rap. For is on a track like Unity, which is now on this album, but on a track like Unity where she's flowing so f- perfectly, talking about a serious topic. T- 
so then she can drop something like All Hail the Queen and be Afrocentric, centric, yet she can change it up and be, she can go from uh, Afrocentric to being in booty shorts and you don't see her any differently. And she's still, and, and she's still a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous creature inside and out, you can tell. And people probably don't even know where she raps. People just know her from music and, excuse me, from uh, acting and producing. But no one, I'm pretty sure no one probably knows she raps anymore. She, I feel like she could be like Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan, people don't know Michael Strahan was a football player. The Hall of Famer, by the way. But they know for Good Morning America and the football stuff. Well, I mean, um, the football pre- pregame show, you know. I'm pretty sure I say sequel and Tifa, but speaking of Tide as the greatest female MC of all time, 40, light as a rock, MC light. Mm, I loved her confidence. I loved her storytelling. I loved uh, how she could talk about having an orgasm in the most PG way while telling a story about her love for somebody and essentially saying he's a fuckboy before fuckboys were, were even considered a thing, you know, in that term. Air quotes, air quotes, can't even air quotes. Um, essential to hip hop. Now she's on television shows and producing and stuff like that, but essential, essential to hip hop for sure. 39, Lord Willen, the clips, under the name No Malice now and Pusha T. These two came in with that, that, I'll never forget where I was. I was watching BET at the house, and all you hear is this, we got, new, we got this new song from the clips called Grindin'. The beat came on, Pharrell Williams is talking, the beat is insane, but basic as fuck. And from ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it whip, one whip, we off the hard, I'm the neighborhood pusher. I was like, who are these dudes? And I remember Pusher sounded very, uh, familiar he was actually on a, a previous 504 boys album and pharrell had did some production for master p but pusher was going under the name terror by anyone at the time but i remember right here i, I, I recognized his voice i remember saying to myself like who are these two dudes and they were rapping and i remember i picked the album up and it was just i know people have said hail half no fury was their favorite clips album I don't know. I like a few tracks on there, like Nightmare with Bilal and Pharrell, uh, Wap Wap, Mr. Me Too. And it, you know what I think it could be? It was such a hassle for them to get that second album dropped that I think that's what people are thinking about what they went through to get that second album dropped. But I don't know. This album, to me, maybe it was because it was more of the clips on that album. This album was very feature-heavy. You could see clips in the first album benefited greatly from having the Neptunes as their sole producers. You had the remix to Grinding on it with Birdman, Lil Wayne, Nori, Jada Kiss. You had Jada Kiss's styles on I'm Not You, but I just prefer Lord Willen for sure. But um, yeah, they, this, they, they made an impact for sure. 37, Hard to Earn. That is Gangstar. DJ Premier, Guru. Rest in peace to Guru. Um, this album, to me... Premier's production is always going to be timeless because even though he does the scratching hook and everything, nothing of his feels dated. You could say it's dated because it's the scratching hook and stuff like that, but I I, I never feel like when I listen to any of Premier's production that he ever has a date on his stuff. Um, and maybe that's my bias. Um, but I, I don't I don't think that's biased. I just don't I don't hear a date when I hear his production. 
And with Guru just rhyming and rhyming so confidently, this makes it just one of the best albums in hip-hop history to me. I skipped one. Sorry. I said 37, didn't I? 38, we can't be stopped. The Ghetto Boys. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I skipped this. Um, things got excited. Ghetto Boys is one of the greatest groups in hip-hop history. There's several incarnations of the Ghetto Boys, but the most popular Ghetto Boy version is uh, Mr. Scarface, Willie D, and Bushwick Bill. This is the version I am talking about. We Can't Be Stopped was gritty, raw, rugged, and to the fucking point honesty all around. I know their famous song is not, their most famous song is not from here. Uh, it's called uh, My Mind's Playing Tricks on Me, but we, we Can't Be Stopped, to me, they're better work as a whole. 36, Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Um, Cypress Hill, I don't know, man. Mugs, um, Be Real, um, Send Dog. They're crazy, man. And I like, and I think that's what the, what the, what the appeal was. You know, you, you have so many great moments from these guys, whether it's beef with West Side Connection, How Can I Just Kill a Man, American Psycho. They were just unapologetically themselves all the time with their music. 35, Run DMC, Raising Hell. The most important group in hip-hop history, in my opinion. For as much as you have Grandmaster Flash and, and the Furious Five, they're important, but to me... I've always considered Run DMC, and I had the pleasure of meeting DMC. I have a picture of me and them together. It's dope. They're the most important hip group in hip-hop to me because they showed that hip-hop could go mainstream. They're the first hip-hop group with the mainstream deal with the mainstream deals with Adidas. They had that crossover record with, um, what was it? What's it? What was it? Aerosmith, Walk This Way. Um, I don't like the song, personally. Um, but I, no, I mean, excuse, I don't like the original song with Aerosmith. I think the sample they had was fantastic. But they showed that you can do crossover and still be yourself. Um, so I think they're the most important group in hip-hop history. I really do. 34, by all means necessary from Boogie Down Productions, Scott LaRock, KRS-One. KRS-One was a teacher, is a teacher now, but on this cover he had the MAC-10. I believe, I believe that's a MAC-10 he has. Um, and they came in gritty. They came in with a... Without KRS-One, there is no 50 Cent. Karis one came in the game dissing rappers, dissing MC Shan, putting out the bridges over, and then evolving once Scott LaRock got killed. Um, Karis one is the ultimate uh, uh, MC, and this is on point. 33, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Art of War. This is a classic record that had so much controversy to it. This is after EZ passed away. Bone Thugs are still under contract with uh, Ruthless. And Tamika Wright, EZ's wife, won't let them out their contract. Busy Bone, who was always out fucking spoken, was very clear about how he didn't want to work on, on stuff with her. He hated her. Probably still hates her to this day. And so a lot of these records don't even have him on it. Uh, you hear a lot of solo records. Um, but it's a well-put-together product. These guys in the same year... Did records with Tupac, that's on this one, Thug Love. And they did a record with Biggie, which is on Biggie's album. And I feel like I, when I listen to that album, it's very few skips. But you could definitely hear where they pieced things together because certain members weren't there. I'm sure one day someone will do a documentary on this album and the controversy that was with it. If they haven't already done one, I just don't know about it. But this album, was it's amazing it even came out. 
32, J. Cole, 2014, Forest Hill Drive. Some people say this is his magna opus, his greatest album, no features. Um, this was the song, this was, so I first learned of J. Cole from a mixtape he had. I don't remember the name of the mixtape, but I remember the song that got my attention of J. Cole. Uh, Lights, Please. It was on his first album. But that was on, originally on a mixtape. And they shot a video for it. We was looking through a peephole. And I thought the way he described sex with women was so perfect because it was like, that's how I feel. And I remember he was like, yeah, that feeling you feel, like when he's talking about how you're controlling a woman's body, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a high. And it is. And I remember saying to myself, who is this dude? And I remember I listened to the first album. And the first album was like, oh, this is pretty dope. You know, I remember I was at work and I was at work. I was working at FedEx at the time, of all places. And I used to bring music in, just bump my music until, you know, couldn't hear it anymore because the trucks would come back. And I listened to that album and said, oh, this album's pretty dope. And then I heard the second album, which I believe was Born Center. Wasn't really feeling that album as much, honestly. I know some people feel that album. I wasn't really feeling that album much. And then he dropped this. And there was something about this album. I feel like he... He he knew where he went wrong sonically with the first album because he's his own producer, and he just tweaked some things, and that's when. So some people will say this is his magna opus. Um, I don't think we've seen his magna opus yet, honestly. I think it was one of his better albums, but I don't think we've seen that yet, honestly. I don't. Thirty one UGK super tight, Pimp C, Bun B, Pimp they were stars. Pimp C's swagger, his ego, uh, confidence are unmatched. Bun B's humbleness and just belief in themselves led to just great music and great moments. Unfortunately, we lost Pimp C way too young, but we have this music of them together and it's just timeless. We have one of the greatest sound bites of all time where Pimp C is at the uh, big pimping video shoot in the mink coat on a beach. And they say, it's a mink coat, it's 100 degrees. Man, TV ain't got no temperature. One of the greatest lines of all time. And that's the biggest hit they were ever on. And Pimp C didn't like the beat and didn't want to get on it. He didn't want to get on it. And Bun was like, man, this dude's out the fish grease right now. You don't want to get on this record? Are you kidding me? Anyways, this, it's just some, just, just, I'm just giving background. Not necessarily, even if it's not an album, it's on the talent. So, but yeah, Super Tight is, to me, their magna opus, their best album. 30, it takes a million to take a nation down. That is Public Enemy, Chuck D, Flavor Flav, the Bomb Squad producing, which was you know, Chuck D too and some other people. Um, This album is powerful. This album, you had uh, Fight the Power That Be that was directed by Spike Lee. On this album, you had uh, <laughs> Chuck D calling Elvis a racist. Like, you, Chuck D is and will forever will be the the biggest fighter in hip-hop history he's the one who did not he said what he could he he could be relevant in any era because you need a chuck d in every era he could be he could be relevant right now if he wanted to be relevant 29 common b the greatest intro and i don't care what anyone says it's the greatest intro in hip-hop history the b intro this is kanye west bringing common sense to the modern era you had Common Sense before Kanye and Common Sense after Kanye. And I remember the first time, I remember when I heard that Kanye was going to, that Common had signed to Kanye and Kanye was going to be producing his entire album. And I remember vividly like, okay, that's interesting to me. I remember I first time I cut on B, 
beat was going on. I was like, okay. And then you hear comments say, yes. And he goes off and he starts rapping. And I was like, holy shit, what is this? I was like, what am I hearing? And it, he, he was the right fit for comment at that time. And phew, the greatest intro of all time. That is an intro. If I can get that intro down, I believe I would have a classic album. But I believe this is a classic album. That's our 29. 28, the infamous Mob Deep. Rest in peace, Prodigy. This is now this is their greatest album of all time. This if you watch those videos, these are two young kids talking about the shit they're talking about. And Havoc was always on a production. They're they're from Queens. And you felt like you you and the video was so gritty and dark. Went from Miss to the Day that We Die. Survival of the Fit Only Strong Survive. Like, oh my God. Like they they were gritty. They, those motherfuckers were gritty. Um and one of the greatest groups in hip hop history. Number twenty seven, without a doubt, the most controversial album in hip hop history. Without a doubt. I am surprised no one has ever done a documentary on this. And I've looked for this thing. Because I'm like, someone had to have made money somehow. But this album is one is widely considered a classic. It is a classic. The lyrics, the production, everything is on point. But there's so much controversy from it. Because people say that they did work on it and never got credited. They didn't work on it and didn't get credit or paid for it. And the main artists claim they did everything on it. And then there's some things, some videos to suggest that they didn't even know the lyrics to this shit. So, I don't know. But number 27 is Lauryn Hill. The miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Yeah, man, this album is crazy because there's been so many things said about it. And I don't know. If you watch some of her live performances, she don't know the words to the fucking songs. It's pretty fucking awful to watch her live, right? And some of these videos. But... This album is flawless. It's perfect. Fits her. She had such hype. I remember seeing her in Sister Act for the first time. Then you drop Fujila, the score, then Killing Me Softly. And then she there was just this build up. And then she was on If I Ruled the World with Nas. And then she drops this mega. I think she had like seven Grammy wins that night. And I think Beyonce and Alicia Keys was the ones that came and tied her, if not beat it. I think they tied her. She was on top of the world. And people have been clamoring for another album since we don't want. We don't want another album. You should not want another album. It won't be as good. Because whatever producers, if there were, if people did actually work on this, she's burned those bridges. Because this, this was put together so flawlessly. And it's by far the most controversial album in hip-hop history. Because it's cause everyone... Now, people, people are very forgiving when they want to be. And they have been very forgiving with her on this album. But it's very dangerous because we don't we actually don't know how this went about, you know? But yeah, it's uh it's different for sure. It's definitely a classic, but it's very controversial. Twenty-six, the Fuji's, the score. Once again, you do not want a second album from these guys. This this was it. This was their thing, right? I, I said this I said this I think in the top fifty songs of all time. Uh or uh they just were the, they just had this mix, and then I believe it was like some some sort of love triangle, whatever it was. But either way, whatever it was, they had, it was the right chemistry, and they all fit together and they all played their roles very well. 
We're halfway there. 25, Eric B and Rakim paid in full. Something's about something uh, about Rakim makes him such a um, such a ghost to me. He was been signed to Dr. Dre, and he he has said his reasons for not dropping an album with Dre. He said them in the last several years. He said that uh, reason he never dropped is because Dre would want him to talk about some things he didn't feel comfortable talking about on the record. And he just wanted to be hip hop and lyrical. And at that point, Dre and him had to, him and Dre, um, just parted ways. And and Dre has also said no, he doesn't put in his work to make me feel like he wanted to drop an album at the time, which is probably fair. But him and Eric Bakim, him him and uh, Eric, Eric B, excuse me, dropped this and that was it. You know, just it's one of those things. Um, I, it's just surprising we haven't gotten more music from this guy. And it feels like he always comes to that creative difference with someone else. And I and I would love just to hear him talk. He's a pretty he's a pretty quiet guy, pretty humble guy. So I feel like sometimes I feel like that's why when people talk about him, if they actually rank him on a list, he's pretty low. I think that's why is that we just don't hear enough from him on a more consistent basis. He was never very consistent. I think that's the thing. With dropping music. 24, Scarface, The Fix. In the middle of a beef with Jay-Z and Nas, which is a heated beef, by the way. Heard a great story from uh, Herb Guy's brother. I think his name is Chris Gotti. And he said, in the middle of their beef, the reason why Jay-Z helped 50 was because of a story. He told a great story. That Nas and Jay-Z were beefing. And... Jay and Irv uh, was asked, "Hey, do you want to sign Nas?" Nas is looking to sign with Murder Inc. Now he didn't know at the time Nas was just using Irv as a tool. Well, Chris had told Irv, "Hey, man, that's that's not a good look because you're friends with Jay Z. You should not do that." And Irv said, "It's just a good business move. Jay Z will understand." So then, in the middle of the beef of Fifty and Ja, I remember this: S. Carter and G Unit had sneakers with. Reebok and they did commercial together and Jay-Z said it was just good business great fucking story and great fucking point but in the middle of the beef these two put their guns down because they had enough respect to to jump on the same album in the same year as a takeover and ether drop Jay-Z's on the first like the second song and Nas on the, is on the third and according to Scarface, Nas actually did have a diss, a little slight diss to Jay-Z. And his face said, nah, man, you need to take that off. And Nas did. But this album is just another one. In a cl- I, 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 I completely forget about Last of a Dying Breed from Scarface. Holy shit, that's a good that classic album. But um, this album, I don't know. The features were perfect. Um, you had Faith Evans on there, you had Nas, Jay-Z, Beanie Siegel, um, the production was perfect, everything about it, and it was so mysterious, because he had one single, it was called My Block, and that was it, there's no follow-up thing, but the rap a lot, you're lucky if you had one fucking single with a video, so we got it, but I remember listening to My Block, I was like, okay, it's kind of cool, you know, I wasn't too impressed with it at first, then I heard it, and I, and my manager, Jay, we were going through my album, and there's certain tracks on it because we'll get into the story down the line. But the name of the album was different before, and 
he didn't like a few tracks on there. I said, okay. And I liked them, but I was like, wasn't attached to them or anything. So I said, cool, got rid of them. But then when I changed the name to Uninvited, Uninvited Guest, I put them back on. And he said, you know what? I didn't like this track before, these tracks before, but they fit on this album. My block fit as a whole on this album. There was really no singles on this album. You know, it was nothing you could put out as a single. It was just, uh, it was just one story being told, and it was probably the lightest song on the track on, on the album. But it was one of the, it was one of the better ones. But it, it fit as a whole on this album. If that makes sense. Twenty three, the biggest debut in West Coast history. Well, excuse me, the most important debut in West Coast history. Snoop Doggy Dog, Doggy Style. For as much as game my rebirth, uh, re- the uh, West Coast genre, that was with the help of East Coast artists. This was with Dr. Dre on the boards, Snoop, the Dog Pound, showing what smooth hip hop can be while being gangsters and motherfucker. Gin and juice, everything, just fantastic. It ain't no fun at the hoes, at the, uh, the homies can't get none. This was a it's a classic album by far. Twenty two, one of the best albums to ever come out of the South. I don't care what anyone says. This is the most important album in Cash Money history. It is still the best album in Cash Money history. Juvenile, four hundred degrees. When you first see Juvenile and the first single's hot and he's greased up, I don't know what that was about. He's greased up. He's talking about uh, <laughs> run for it, run for it, run. He's going, uh, huh, after everything. I did not understand what the fuck was happening. I was intrigued, but I knew what was happening. And then the bomb of Back That Ass dropped, and you had a little megastar in the making, a little Wayne. Classic production from Manny Fresh. Listen to that production. That's classical music he is using. To talk about backing that ass up, which is fucking hilarious. Timeless record. People could still play to play it now. And then you have Juvenile just murdering it. His flow was just amazing. But then you go to tracks like Ride With Me. You go back to Ha. Huh. You go back to Ghetto Children. You go to the Ha remix with Juvenile. Which, by the way, fun fact, Juvenile just put himself on a remix. Like, he literally just took the beat and rapped over and he sent it to Juvenile. He knew Juvie was hot. Like, Jay-Z was a master at that, actually. If you look at Jay-Z's category, uh, excuse me, category, um, catalog, you'd be surprised at the number of people he collaborated with. You'd be surprised. 21, Master P, The Last Dawn. This one was tough. I really enjoyed Ghetto D more. I really do. But The Last Dawn... Was the the was the the cap on? It was the last good album from No Limit, in my opinion. But it was the cap. Actually, that's not true. Street Life Afterwards was classic, and World War Three from Mac. But it was the cap on his his couple last couple years of dominating the hip hop. And if you listen to Snoop Dogg, his respect for Master P is immense. But this is why. Stuff like this. You had straight to DVD movie or tape, whatever it was at the time. It was tapes and DVDs, I think. Movie. You had just this hype. And then you had this. Then you used every artist on your label to be on this record. It's a double disc. 
and for every and the reason why I like D more is less filler. But when I listen to tracks like Picture Me, not Picture Me, um, Streets Streets Keep Me Rolling with Fiend. When we listen to Black President with Mac. When we listen to Mama Told You for Soldier Slim and Snoop Dogg. It it all just worked. He 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 was on point. Beast by the Pound were on point. Now known as Medicine Men. Um, Barry things came together. So this was the cherry on top of the proverbial Sunday. Twenty, the most. I'm gonna use a wrestling analogy here. So you, so if you're not into wrestling, you won't get it. Hulk Hogan was the genesis of the boom era in in, in WWE. Steve Austin was um, the resurgence. This album was the resurgence, and we've never seen anything as big as it. The hype was amazing. We won't ever see that again. And if we do, it will be when I we are long gone. 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. To me, it was the most important. It was a transition in hip-hop. We got to the point where hip-hop didn't know where it was. You had people that was making genuine hits, like Ja Rule, like Jay-Z. 50 Cent was different. 50 Cent gets shot nine times. 50 Cent comes back. He's still talking shit. He's still dropping pretty good music. Now you mix him with Eminem and Dr. Dre. Eminem at his peak. Eminem at his peak. This is key. See, now you, have a, you still have a hungry Eminem who's not still still not getting the respect he feels he deserves after dropping his Marshall Mathers LP. Then you have this album. And Diverse Mentality actually did a really dope 20th anniversary uh, documentary. You should check that shit out on YouTube. It's like two hours long. It's worth the fucking watch, though. To see Shamani XL detail um, every track and how they came about. If you look at this album, whether it's, I uh, know you like my step, uh-huh, like we break it down. That, to many men in the club you know it's and that's it's the 50 cent did something that very few people can do drop a timeless hit he will for even if he ever goes broke which he won't even if he ever gets low on money he can just perform shows and do high uh, it's your birthday in the club and he'll make thousands of dollars um, but this, to me, was the resurgence in hip-hop. It was something different. It was gangster rap, but it was mixed with uh, uh, 21 questions and stuff. So you see that he had range as a rapper. It didn't have to be just one thing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Number 19, speaking of Eminem, Marshall Mathers LP, to me, his greatest album of all time. People will go to Eminem show. I, Eminem show was the most polished album of all time. Like, to me, I think Eminem... At that point, he only had one album out. It was with some shitty LP, which I never really cared for, actually, to be honest with you. But then you drop Marshall Mathers LP, and I've always said this. Dr. Dre took the best of Eminem and his underground raps and mixed it with a polished mainstream feel. When you listen to tracks that he has, Remember Me with Sticky Fingers and RBX, that's an underground track. They're just killing it. But then you mix it with the, um, yes, I'm some shady, I'm the real shady, that that shit. And it's like you have mainstream, but you also have this underground feel that just made the whole entire album gritty. And it's the perfect 
sandwiched together. But Eminem's show was definitely the most polished album he had, for sure. But this one was, you had the, the classic stand. Now we can't, we can't stop saying stands now. But this, if you didn't know, this is where it came from. There's a song where Eminem sampled a song from Dido. It was her chorus or another song. He samples it and then makes a, a, a six-minute-long record telling the story about Stan, who is a fan who ends up going crazy. Just check it out. Staying in the family, I guess. 18, 2001, Dr. Dre. I promise you I didn't realize I wrote them in this order. But um, maybe I did subconsciously, I guess. Anyways, uh, I, I the Chronic is dope. I love the first Chronic. I do. 2001... The features, the production, him and uh, I think it's Hit Boy. Was it Hit Boy or Hit Man? Hit Boy or Hit Man, whatever his name was. I don't mean to be disrespectful here. Whatever his name was, he helped on that production. To this day, there's controversy about how much he did and how much Dre did. Um, but, you know, a producer can be a couple things. So, what, I'm, what I've been told, you can be a producer if you bring everybody in the same room together and have them do the work, but you brought them together so you produce that, right? Which. Makes sense to me. This was there's some controversy with this album because some people will say they worked on it and never got credit for it, but they'll say about the original Chronic too. So take that for whatever the fuck it is, right? Um, my favorite song on this thing is "What's the Difference" with Exhibit, Dre, and Eminem. Holy, it was the first time I ever heard Exhibit, and then that made me go back and listen to Exhibit's catalog at the time. He didn't have a, a huge catalog. I think it was only one album he had dropped at the time. Um, but I was like, who is this dude with this crime of gruff voice and killing this shit? What's the difference between me and you? Like, that that beat is crazy. 17, Raekwon featuring uh, Ghostface, only built for Cuban links. From the great, from one of the greatest groups of all time, Wu-Tang Clan. This is them branching off, and the first was a masterpiece. I, I, I don't, I know... I, I, I don't like saying they're with Ray Kwong part, but because of that's how the album build it, I say it. But people usually don't like to give Ray Kwong his flowers as a solo artist because of that, because they say it was an album together. And some people will say Supreme Clientele, and it's just a Ray Kwong album, is is that. So I'm I, if he already has a classic album, I don't want to give, I don't know, I, I just don't want to take away from Ray Kwong, excuse me, but... Um, but yeah, I definitely want you guys to check this uh, this this particular project out. It's pretty dope. Sixteen N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton. This one was the hardest one to put on this list because I've heard the album. The production is very dated. Same thing like the two, uh, the Tupac album I told you guys about. If you only have ears for modern day music, you probably won't like this. But the lyrics are timeless. And what MC Run did, what Ice Cube did, what the Pens. Those guys were fucking problems. They were problems, for sure. 15. We're West Coast heavy here. Death Certificate, Ice Cube. In his return, he cut his hair. His first album was... Um, what was his, what was the name of Ice Cube's first album? I can't remember the name of his, his first album. Was it America's Most Wanted? Um, he didn't say anything about... about uh, he said nothing about the group in W.A., and then they dissed him because he had success. He went platinum in like, I think, two months. Then he came back with a death certificate and dropped the most brutal, most volatile, the most disrespectful diss track of all time. 
It was nasty. It is called no Vaseline, and holy shit, is it mean spirited? He had that in him from the he, like he had that shit in him. He just didn't say anything on the first album. He just didn't say anything. He left it alone. He like he left the group because he said, "Hey, the money's not right. I got to do what I want to do." He went to New York, had the Bomb Squad produce the entire album. He did. I've heard America's Most Wanted. He did not say anything on that album about the. It wasn't even subliminal. There was nothing. You would have got it back then, you know. Everyone knew how they broke up, and I'm telling you, the death certificate. That's just, that shit. Just that shit hurts your soul. That shit hurts. To me, the best diss track of all time. It's just <laughs> rough, but but it fits because that was his second. To me, Ice Cube was another artist who has multiple classic albums. Him having his first album, this album matches back with classic albums. Fourteen, we are West Coast heavy. Jesus Christ, Good Kid, Mad City, Kendrick Lamar. A lot of people have been more influenced by To Pimp a Butterfly. But for me, let me take a sip of water real quick. Sorry, guys. But for me, the entire story he was telling was so much better on Good Kid, Mad City. You could tell he took direction on that album. You could tell like every track on there was him being himself. But they said, hey, let's do this type of song. And everything was mixed in and woven in really well. To Pimper Butterfly, for me, I don't think it's... The listening value for me has diminished a lot, if I'm being real. I like Mortal Man on there and a couple other songs, but for me, that was a dated record. I think... I, I don't know why, but I think because I like the storytelling and Good Kid so much better. Yeah, Good Kid, Mass 14. 13, we're back to the East Coast now. The Low End Theory, Tribe Called Quest. Speaking of classic albums, these guys had nothing but classic albums. Um, these guys were, are amazing. Q-Tip, Five Dog, the entire tribe. Um, they fun. I'm trying to think about, about a way to describe them. I don't think you can. They were just themselves. They did their kind of music. They had their kind of production. Both they had, you had two lyrical monsters on there in, in, in the three-man group. I don't know. I just uh, I don't know how to describe them, but their, their music was is is definitely timeless for sure. Number twelve, Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers Wu Tang Clan. Look, when you, I don't know how they make that work. I still to this day don't know how you have like eighty five different fucking artists on a record and it's only six minutes, and everyone still shines. Everyone still shines. I, I don't get it. I think he's one of the greatest producers of all time in the RZA. I don't get it, but they made it work, and that's why they're and that's why they have a cult following that will that, that is beyond them, you know. Number eleven, the one I gave away earlier, Notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, Life of Death. When you hear songs like Notorious Thugs, and when you hear songs like More Money, More Problems, when you hear songs like Last Day, when you hear songs um, like Until Your Last Day. It's uh, it, what Diddy did on, on the producing side of this thing, putting the right beats together, putting the right songs together, um, all while dealing with the death of a friend. This is one of the few hip-hop albums to go diamond. It is a diamond hip-hop album. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I, I, I couldn't, I don't, I don't know, I couldn't imagine losing someone like that and then having the wherewithal to put together this classic it's a classic record it just is and the way it was produced and put together was amazing so 
Now we're striking our top 10. Top 10, Kanye West, my twisted dark fantasy. His, his, this is his magna opus. He went through peaks and valleys. He had 808s and heartbreaks. He had just lost a significant other. Just lost his mom, I believe. Or I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure about the mom thing, but I know he lost his, his, his previous significant other. This is before Kim Kardashian and shit. And he was going through a lot of shit. And um, then he drops this album. And it was him saying, I'm still hip-hop. I have every right to experiment. And I would experiment if I want to. You're so like Monster. That's Kanye, that has, uh, Kanye West on there with Jay-Z, Nicki Minaj, who absolutely murdered it. Rick Ross, your songs like, um, one hand in the air, if you don't really care. One hand in the air, if you don't really care. It's like this sometimes, this shit's ridiculous. He had a posse cut with Jay-Z, Pusha T, uh, Cy High the Prince. It just was, when I heard this shit, I was like, what is he, he's back on it. It's actually the last album of his I like. I don't remember Life of Pablo. I've only said like once. So I'm going to say the last album I've heard over and over and over that I liked from Kanye. Number nine, De La Soul Stakes is High. Um, I, I mentioned them earlier. They're one of the only groups to have a classic debut. Come back for the second album, completely change sonically, and have another classic, then have another classic. Like they just work. De La Soul being apologetically themselves makes him one of the greatest groups in hip-hop, and it makes it a tragedy that one of the members passed away this year right as their music hit streaming services. It's That's just so fucked up. It's just so fucked up. I don't want to get on that tangent. Number eight, The Roots, How I Got Over. Speaking of Black Thought, this is, to me, I know some people would say Things Fall Apart is their best album. I don't know. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot, a lot. How I Got Over just hits me differently, though. The lyrics from from uh, Black Thought, the production from Questlove, I don't know, it just hits me differently. But I like both. Number seven, Most Deaf, Black on Both Sides. Look, Omi says, Miss Fat Booty, this album from top to bottom is a masterpiece. It was, It's Most Deaf at his greatest. And it's unfortunate that he is a martyr for hip-hop and like he chooses to not support his music on streaming services but it's one of those things when it's fair it's fair because i don't I, even i don't understand how streaming services work even ice t on drink champs said he didn't know how streaming services work like no one knows how you get paid because you don't actually get paid <laughs> so it's one of those things where um just knowing this is on there though Selfishly, selfishly, I still have the CD by the way. I still listen, always listen to it, I guess. But selfishly, for me, it's like I still listen to it. I like it. Number six, Lupe Fiasco, the cool. He dropped Food and Liquor One. Album was dope, different, sonically it was fantastic. I said this before about Lupe Fiasco and the cool. I don't know what this is, but holy shit. He told an entire story on this album, and it was very cohesive, and the features on there all are perfect. They all fit. Even when he takes a break to talk about his uh, his life with a woman going on the road, it's just different. It's just like, what the hell? What was he on? 
And he literally toured off his album for two years while the album, while the label wouldn't let him drop his third album. And, and he could tour off his album as long as he wanted to, if he wanted to. He's not that kind of artist because he, he's um, very uh, he's a very fickle artist, very frustrating artist to be a fan of. He's also one of the greatest lyricists of all time. So there you go. Number five, Big Punisher, Capital Punishment. When this dropped, you you listen, man. His flow on this thing's fucking ridiculous. When you have features like Black Dot, Noriega, Fat Joe, Joe the singer, it just came to, and you also have Terror Squad. It just came together so good, and that's one of my favorite albums to still listen to to this day. Number four, DMX. It's dark and hell is hot. His debut to the game was scary. You have that video where he's in some nightclub. She clutches on the hook. Y'all niggas wanna be killers? Get at me, dog. Y'all niggas wanna be killers? Get at me, dog. Like you hear that that grittiness, that roughness. K Solo was his name. That's what it was. K Solo was the one that was with um, EPMD. Uh, but K Solo was the one that he dissed in this record. Tell that nigga K, suck my dick. He says that in this his first single. Um, and if you aren't hearing anywhere, I apologize. I'm singing a song, but uh, disclaimer, I guess. Too late, I guess. But that's um, crazy how I remember that from this. Anyways, the point is, this album was, whew, it was interesting, man, to hear it. Like, you, I, I don't think, you, and there's no one like DMX. I know Hip Hop Madness on YouTube just dropped a video saying DMX was the original NBA young boy or, he com- or they compared them. I don't think you can compare them as artists, but they did a good job of trying. But I didn't. It, I yeah. It's not. It's not the same. Um, but yeah, um, this album is. Whew, it's raw. It's rugged, and it put the Rough Riders on the map. Very important album hip hop history. Number three, Nas, Illmatic. So, I actually prefer Stillmatic over Illmatic. I've said this before. But I prefer Still Mac only because I prefer, for me, um, the flow was a bit better from him. And Illmatic, this is nitpicky, completely nitpicky. But Illmatic was all about his storytelling and him getting this this um, this story of his beginning out. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, but yeah, um, for sure, I prefer the other, the other, this other album, but Ilmac was, how can you go wrong with the world? Whose world is this? How can you go wrong with the New York state of mind? You, you can't. Number two, Jay-Z, the blueprint. This one was tough because it was between this one or the black album. I chose the blueprint because it came out of time. It dropped on 9-11 and it came out of time where hip hop was kind of just in this space of music dropping you had jay kiss who just dropped two months before and it was just it needed something and i feel like jay-z on this album sonically took his time you could tell he chose every beat meticulously and i feel like he didn't get back to that until the black album but i feel like on this album you have whole lot veto h to the Izzo, you had heart of the city it feels like you really jay-z really like listened to everything and said this will work. Now I need to make the lyrics match this and everything I got going on. Yeah. Then he bought the song from Renegade from Eminem and Royce 5'9". 
I still prefer Royce to Five Nine and Eminem's version over it, because um, it makes more sense. It just makes more sense when you hear them together, as opposed to Jay Z and Eminem. But it's the only collaboration we've ever had with those two, so I have to give that honorable mention. And number one, last but not least on this list, is Outkast with Stankonia. Uh, the greatest group out of ATL of all time. Um, part of the fa- famous Dungeon family. Um, came out of the basement of Organized Noise. Dropping four straight classic albums. Never compromising their style. Never compromising anything they had going on. This is just a fantastic album from top to bottom. With classic singles. All their singles from this album are freaking classic. Anyways, that's my top 50. We went a little bit long there, but you guys actually don't mind it. So tell me what you guys think. This is just, just the start of hip-hop week. We have the top 50 songs on Wednesday. Then we end it on Friday with an interview with Libsy. I'm talking about a number of things. So thank you, guys. Uh, I am the Slow Chemical. This is I See Things a Little Differently. And we...